Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Treb Gott, founder of Marquee Insights, on the topic of the evolution of project and portfolio management in modern knowledge and information management systems. Welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. And my guest today is Treb Gott, the founder of Marquee Insights and a data platform MVP. Welcome, Treb. Thank you, Christian. And I'm glad to be here. And hopefully this will be worth uh, everybody listening to and they'll get something out of it. Well, if it isn't worth it, then they can have their money back. I'll, I'll double, <laughs> double that number back. Like a fast forward, yes. <laughs> well, this this is an interesting topic, and, and so you, Trev, I'm trying to remember like when we first met, but it's been over a decade. But it, you know, you were one of my uh, go-to MVPs that you know because you were originally a Microsoft project or project server MVP, but you were in the project arena. Yeah, and actually, before that, I was a PM on the project team at Microsoft. I forgot so, about. That. Yeah, yeah, we go way, we go back much further than you so, remember. Because <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we interacted because when I was doing a project server deployment in 2005, which was my entry point really into the SharePoint world, and I started, but I was on the phone constantly with Redmond because I, I ended up employing. I'm going to beat up on project server just a little bit. Um, That's okay, we're used to it. I, yeah, I. <laughs> Like I took the recommendations. They said, well, this is the company that did a project server deployment, our biggest deployment with Coca-Cola in Atlanta. I hired them, paid a lot of money, never got the darn thing working the way that we want. And it, which is interesting, which is topical to what we're going to discuss. It wasn't so much about the Gantt charts and that kind of day-to-day project tracking. It was much more about the analytics, the data that the system was creating on the back end. That's what the company wanted. It was the resource management and then looking at the data. They wanted to know, like, are we getting better at our deployments? Are we improving on our time of bringing products from, you know, envisioning through to to delivery? Uh What what does that look like? Uh And it's, it's a fascinating space. That's how, because there's so many aspects to that how I got involved in the knowledge management, the collaboration space was Ooh. that like that side of the needs for project portfolio management. But why don't you give us the, the background, like who you are, where you are, what you do, talk about what your company does. Uh, so as Christian mentioned, <clears throat> and apologize says, I am still recovering from COVID oh. after two months now. <clears throat> so it is what it is, but you know, thankfully, all it wasn't bad thanks to the, the miracles of modern medicine so we're all good and uh, got all my shots but uh so i'm trev got uh i've had quite a journey along this path i've actually started off as a project manager way back in the day using project 4.0 if anybody remembers that and uh wound up working at microsoft where i was a bipm for project so very familiar with project reporting left there started my own company uh but we started off as a project uh, partner, actually, as a project MVP, transitioned over to Power BI when it came out and became a data platform MVP. And 
many people look at that and go, that, what, how did that happen? And I go, well, it's a natural progression because- that makes sense to me, I'll just say. You know, yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, we're working on projects, we need to know where we are and how does this relate? And it's like, everybody needs reporting. And so that led us to our first products that we released and, and all the services that we're doing now. And, and so Christian and I have been talking about this, that with the, the massive change that we've been going through, and I'm not gonna say challenging times because I'm so sick of hearing that. We, it's always a challenging time. Let's get, let's be real here. But we have been forced to work in ways that we weren't normally working in uh, to begin with. And what it did is it highlighted a number of gaps. And so we're seeing this. Uh, we saw this initially in the project space, where it used to be, you know, people would manage three, maybe four projects at a time, and they would have very detailed plans, and they were using project and all this other stuff. Then we started seeing shifts to Agile because now people are managing 14, 15 projects. They may not be big projects, but they're projects. And the collaboration is actually where a lot of the action is going on. Um, and so then we saw the rise of teams and we saw better support from SharePoint. We saw better uh, integration with other products like Jira and Asana and all these other ones, not just to be Microsoft because there's a lot, there's 190 plus tools out there, I think that do project management. And and it's gone even beyond that. So uh, I think in the long run, what we've gone through in the last two years will actually benefit us greatly for decades to come. And so I'm very excited by that. So yeah, there's well, that's always the uh, when you think about it, some of the greatest companies, um, you know, in, in history, certainly the last hundred years, you know, that were created in some of the downturns, you know, mm -hmm. that happened. So some of the most resilient companies that were innovation based, but also, uh, you know, that that had strong, you know, revenue focused models that like, uh, and I just remember sitting through a lot of the, 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 the dot com bubble. I remember sitting at a pitch. Yeah. And here we were, we're a company where we had developed a software company this is my own startup, where we had working product, we had paying customers, we were, we were beta testing with some massive uh, companies like uh, Lufthansa engineering um, was was testing out our solution. Uh, and we're sitting in there, you know, struggling to raise funds, and sitting around these, you know, 20 somethings that had raised were looking at their second or third rounds on some of the stupidest nothing ideas that were just vaporware you know um yeah but anyway, on the other side of that not I that i'm bitter incubator. no well i was in a business incubator uh working at that time hmm. so uh i can tell you how to basically waste 75 million dollars and how to make 125 million you know it, it it goes both ways, uh, yeah. the good, the bad, and the ugly. But, uh, but yeah, it, and we're seeing elements of that today. Uh, we're, we're definitely seeing that. I think the companies that are adjusting faster are definitely going to uh, come out on top. And the, I think the other thing that uh, I'm seeing too is we've always had this predisposition of clients wanting solutions to their problems rather than platforms. Because we, we had a time there where people were really about the platform. I'm not seeing that so much today. I'm seeing... Does it work with some form of, you know, RPA where we can stitch this stuff together? But we need a solution today. We need we have a problem. We narrowed it down to three or four different solution providers, and we need to stitch it together either at the data layer or the action layer with other cloud services we've got. And the companies that are cycling through that very quickly, um, I think, are the ones that are winning. Uh, the other odd thing too is, I'm starting to see companies say, you know what, tying these 
lower level functions together with uh, I call it you know the uh, the concept of digital bailing wire, but you know a SharePoint list and like a power automate flow on top of it that might have been good enough to get started. We need this thing to scale. We need you know put more people on it. They're actually starting to do investment in more app development, either in power apps or buying you know another solution for it. It's it's been amazing to see this transition. That is, that is the cycle you've just described it. I mean, before it was, I mean, before I was in the Microsoft ecosystem, I mean, in the in the you know, early to mid 90s, a lot of you know, we were refer, referred to, you know, we'd buying up platforms and tools, things like business objects and uh, DSS agent. And the idea was to create, it, it wasn't enough just to string together the various solutions and to jump between solutions to go uh, you know, get your work done. They wanted to have a unified, and I remember I was working for the phone company. I was working for Pacific Bell. Specifically, I worked for Pacific Telsis Shared Services, which serviced, you know, uh, uh, Pacific Bell and some of the other Pac Bell properties, P Pacific Bell Internet Services, Nevada Bell, things like that. Um, and our shared services organizations, IT organization, was building out decision support systems. And that, that phrasing and what they, uh, you know, sitting in on some of those as I was a technical PM and I was more over on the data warehouse side of things, but that's where I started to see like the requests and, and trying to understand the broader architecture, the intent of what our executive customers wanted out of the system. They, they wanted to have, you know, we talk so much now in collaboration space like that, you know, that single pane of glass, <laughs> they, they want to have that simple point people to one location. They can go and easily then navigate to the information that they needed. They want to be able to go take action. Things like that. Workflow was a new phrase, you know, for, for me and learning about this. But a lot, a lot of that, I mean, it just, it was so big and so expansive and expensive to go and build that because it was all, well, we say dedicated cloud now. It was all on-prem. Mm -hmm we were building and trying to go and do and, and deploy. Uh, and so the first big step that changed all of that was the move towards SaaS, move towards yeah. the cloud. And, and, and you're seeing the, the cost and the effort shift. Because like you said, it used to be, oh, I've got to go get servers, I've got to go buy software, I've got to do all that. Yeah. Now, so we're seeing sort of this, this three-phase approach now because we have you know, structured data that we've always had, which is roughly about, uh, I think somebody had said it was 27% uh, of an enterprise's data is structured. Yeah. I think it was a forester yeah. number. Yeah. So 73% of it is still stuck in content. And you're seeing investments around this with Syntax and other uh, organizations allowing you, you to- You don't know, is the this... Share, SharePoint Syntax? Yeah. Which is, uh, always like to the, the, the broader audience sure. what that is. It, so, and what this is, this is a purpose-built AI solution. It's a curation engine, if you will, right. uh, that uh, the underlying uh, pinning for SharePoint syntax and Viva topics that essentially allows you to take things like uh, documents and PDFs and other unstructured data that we've never been able to really crack open accurately and do that at scale and convert this into data. So that's unlocking this whole new pool of information that we've ever had. Uh, this is then used to drive action. So we see a lot of uh, investment in, in um, these automation platforms. So where our office is here in Bellevue, Washington, is we're right across the street from UiPath, which does a lot of 
of RPA stuff, just like Power Automate, just like there's a number of other tools that do this. And what, they're, what people are trying to do is reduce the amount of time to get to a critical decision. And so much of this has been uh, bottlenecked by manual effort. And now that we're working remote, we're working at different time times now, we're not all eight to five, um, this automation becomes more important. So we've got data we're unlocking, we've got the automation layer we're putting on top of it. The final thing that we're seeing is this really getting to that pane of glass. And that I'm calling it the answer marketplace because people don't want more reports, they want answers because that's what they're trying to get to is an answer to a question. And they're using a mix of tools. We see a lot of Tableau and a lot of Power BI actually used together, which they can be. Many people don't know that. Uh, you can actually attach Tableau to a Power BI model. These Power BI models can span all sorts of data sources. You can embed your business rules in there. And then you have new tools like Power BI goals. You have the ally acquisition that Microsoft made. You have other uh, OKR stuff. Uh, yep. And I'll talk about OKRs uh, a little bit more. I'm excited minute. about that space. Yeah, we definitely need <laughs> so, to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Me. So, but it, what they're trying to get to is giving the executive just what they need, uh, where they need to engage. And this is this is a very subtle shift that's going on. It used to be when you had a KPI or something, a key performance indicator, it was red, yellow, green, and that would indicate the health of that indicator. But we're seeing this shift now to saying, look. We want to inform the executive when to engage because it's one thing to know the health, but they are looking at going, so what does that mean to me? Right. But we're seeing it now where it's like, green is used to inform. We're telling you where things are. Yellow is being used to enable the team to do some critical action that they need to solve their issue. And then red is now signaling, we need you to engage because of this problem. And while it's subtle, it is it's changing the dynamics of how we present that pane of glass. Yeah. And um, sometimes we have, you know, none of this, if you think about it, is new. We've been doing this stuff for decades. Well, like what you just <laughs> described, again, yeah. I go back to, in my experience, 30 years ago, decision support systems mm -hmm. was essentially that. It was yeah. more of a, a business outcome base. Like this is what we're actually trying to do. And so trying to automate that those other, you know, red, yellow, green indicators and all of the underlying data that drives that status to, to figure out the right ratio of those things and which metrics drive into feed then the progress against that outcome, that scenario, that, that, that business outcome. Well, so, it, and, and that's, but to that end, I think the other subtlety is that people are becoming more concerned about what we're working toward rather than what we're working on. Right. Because I think for the last couple of years, there was sort of this focus on, you know, uh, when, you're, when you're coming from a lean background, you're coming from a process automation, you wanna know how we're we doing, what's the quality metrics. And you, you definitely need those, don't get me wrong. But when you start your building of your pane of glass at the middle of the org, and so the top of the org, you get a slightly different bias to what you're looking at. And I think people are starting to ask the CEO, what do you need to know to run the company? You know, if I were going to ask TJ or, you know, who I, I'm assuming TJ is still the CEO. I, yeah. yeah. So yeah. if I was going to ask him, what, what seven or eight metrics do you need to start to gauge the health of the company? I would have that conversation. I would go to the CFO and I would, you know, I would ask them. It's, and it, we're starting those conversations much higher up 
and we're trying to get to the point, which is the other thing. Uh, there, we've, we've recreated the SharePoint problem and actually the content management system problem of we made it easy to create content. Now nobody can find anything. And yeah. search doesn't help you find these things. I, I was just going to, you know, a couple things, uh, just mm -hmm. a thought in the head is just like, you know, when, when you're hungry, all you think about is food. Mm -hmm. When you're living in, you know, organizationally, you have chaos. The first thing that you desire is let's get into project or task oriented. Let's get that cleaned up and get organized what we're doing day in, day out. It's difficult to think about strategy, just like, you know, the hungry person. It's difficult to think about putting money away for retirement. If you're hungry on a day-to-day -day basis, you have to like solve some of the, those issues, which is to say like, you can't be more forward thinking and put money away for the long term at the same time. But um, moving off of that, you know, <laughs> that, that story. Well, but, but you bring up, but you bring up a good point. And this has been, I think, uh, accentuated. This issue has been accentuated by the, the stress of the last two years is when you look at projects and project management, formal task management, that's only about 45% of the work a person does a given day on average. Right. So does it make sense to manage the hell out of 45% of your work and leave the rest unmanaged? And so we're seeing this now where, you know, some organizations are doing the old, I shouldn't call it old fashioned. It's just, it's been around a while. They're yeah. doing lean journeys. They're doing optimizations of process. They're doing automation. Hopefully they're cleaning it up along the way. Otherwise you're going to get chaos at light speed because we don't need chaos at scale, which is what you can do if you do RK badly. But, uh, but we're getting at least starting to get a look at what is going on with that 55% because we want more than 45% you know, investing for the future, but we can't get there if it's killing us to run the day to day. And I think people are starting to pay more attention to the whole picture. And, and that's why I think project management actually has changed a bit because it's now informing other efforts within the organization that typically were very separate. You know, I, I just got off a call with an organization, uh, operational manager, where they want to view their workflows as almost mini projects and, and monitor them in, in the same way. It's like, where do we have deviations? Where, where are we getting off? What's our bottlenecks? And it's a type of rigor I'm, I'm excited to see because it just leads to a whole wealth of you know other views and learnings that we can get out of this. Yeah. I just was thinking, what was the, uh, what's the name of the, the old company that uh, did like the daytime planners, you know, that, old, uh, you don't know. Uh, well, I got the Moleskin book still. I'd yeah. Like yeah. I... yeah but the, <laughs> so anyways, the, the company that was, in fact, I think they're Utah based. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a Salt Lake company that used to do the, those, I, I just was so envious of the people that would go to the, uh, the, the, like the week long training on how to get better about taking notes within their book. Yeah like the calendaring method for all that kind of stuff. And then it just got blown away by all the digital stuff. But, um, you know, again, that, that idea of, of cleaning up, being aware of those different tasks, so much of that, when I think of that is um, cleaning up the chaos. So much of it is about just training the organization culturally to understand and accept like the change management, that iterative, that fast-paced iterative it's easier to go in to do that, to adopt a you know, strong change management model to build that in your culture when you have a strong sense of where we're going as a company and where, what our priorities are. If, if you can't, as an employee, articulate what your leadership wants, it's going to be very difficult for you to go and beyond the task 
you know, driven outlook of your day-to-day, -day, you know, work life. And that's where, you know, to revisit the OKR. So for those who've never heard of OKRs, uh, objectives and key results are a way to define what are we working toward and how do I track against that? Uh, this was uh, first created at Intel a long time ago. Uh, John Doerr, who worked there at the time, uh, really, really got into this. And he later left Intel, became an investor. He was one of the first investors for Google, where he introduced it to them. Uh, since then, Amazon, Microsoft, I think uh, a few other large companies you probably have heard of, have all adopted this approach. But, And I think with the stress we've been under for the last couple of years, uh, especially if people are working remote, it became more important to have this, you know, this clarity. What are we working toward? Also, we needed a way to be clear about it. So there's a transparency that comes with it because when it's not transparent, that's when trust factors come into play. And that's why you have some management who have been very focused on the what you're doing instead of what you're working toward are having issues with uh, remote workforces because they can't see what they're doing. Which is a focus on the how you're doing it and whether you're you know out, out of sight or you're here yeah. on site out of sight. Um, yeah, so the, those people are generally those managers. A lot of those micromanagers are so focused on how you're accomplishing your tasks and less so on hey, well if I'm delivering you know to the plan, um, you know then everything should be okay. The other side of that is if you don't have a clear understanding of what those objectives are, how do you know that you've achieved them much less exceeded those goals? And that's been, uh, we actually, as an internal exercise said, we have to eat our own cooking here. So, cause we do workshops on, you know, how to develop these, these scorecards and these goals and whatnot. Yep. And the, the idea was everybody has a personal scorecard. We have goals, objectives, key results we all have to meet. And you know, it, Personally, it took me about six weeks working with my business partner to figure out what is it we need to know? What is it we need to focus on? And the funny thing is, it's very little of it is related to what you're actually working, like, you know, do X this week kind of thing. It's more like, oh, we, uh, for example, one of them was we, one of my objectives is to increase the average engagement size by X percentage. That is an objective. Now, how we get that, there's a couple of things I have to measure. And, you know, these, we worked with one CEO, one of his uh, objectives or one of his goals was to reduce safety incidents because every safety incident would cost them in production. It would cause all these downstream issues. And under that one goal, there were several objectives and then it broke down to several key results. But he now had a clear understanding of how this goal mapped to what people were doing and it's not easy because frankly we've never had to really think about it this way before uh in my experience over the last you know well, 20 years or so i've only met one ceo uh he was ceo of a very large pharmaceutical company and his goals were basically the six promises to the street because they were a public company so for him it was easy like i gotta do these things but the next layer down, they struggle to really come up with, so how do we make that happen? You know, it, it's not an easy process and it does take a bit of self-discipline to start thinking about it in a different way. You know, Trev, I was just thinking about the similarities to that, you know, the conceptually at least to like the sales and marketing funnel and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and working with some really strong sales organizations and, and uh, like I, 
I mean, I got this down to like you know, the, the science of it to some okay. degree. You think of sales and, and marketing, what a company does, a product, you're a product company. You're trying to sell more of your product. And, okay. and that the, the, we got down to the science where we had along the customer journey from finding them, doing the broad, the fishing, throwing the net as wide as possible to get as many potentially interested people down through that funnel until we had a signed contract and a check sent you know, right. money right. transferred that it might be something. And I'll just generically say like, you know, we might reach out to a hundred companies and then we get down to what we, you know, like that, the general leads into Ooh. a marketing qualified. And maybe there's 50 that are marketing qualified of that 50, only 20 are sales qualified five get made offers. And we might close two of the five. We knew that, well, if we perfected each stage of that transaction each of the calls to action each of those metrics and 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 even so we could try different things different campaigns different styles with different people and I'll look at all those things and say that okay this campaign is performing really well we have 200 going in the top of the funnel yet we're still only getting the same number at down at the bottom so we're okay. not really getting any added benefit from that so we could kind of adjust things but the idea was that we said, okay, well, if we fine tune that funnel, we know that if we put in a hundred, we get two out of the bottom. If we put in 200, we should get four and, right. and, and measure that way. Organizations love being that level of predictability. And obviously there's factors, there's all over the place, but that's a big part of what is driving OKRs. Like that, the move towards that and project and portfolio management. It's not about the day-to-day -day task management. It's at the end of all of that, we had a Did goal. Have any impact. Right. What was the impact? What, what are we trying to achieve there? And, you know, were we successful? And if we weren't, or if we were more successful than we thought we'd be, why? What went right? What went wrong along the way? Right. You, you don't want to just be like, uh, I don't know, throwing up your shoulders at the end of like, either way why it worked or why it didn't work you want to have more of a predictable model oh and, and but you bring up something though that that sometimes i think people miss when they're looking at okrs is failure or i should say accounting for failure is almost encouraged in a certain way because uh part of the google implementation was they actually set a budget of how much failure could they tolerate at a large scale level and the reason they did this is they wanted to encourage that experimentation because if people have no room to fail, they won't. They, in fact, if it's tied to their salary in any way, you will see zero experimentation because they're not going to jeopardize their salaries for the benefit of the company. That's just human nature. So with Google, they said, you know, 30% roughly we expect some failure to happen or you're not going to meet goals. I know Microsoft has, you know, a different metric. But you have to have this ability to accept failure is going to happen because I know we talk about data cultures and we talk about action cultures, but what we're really trying to get to is a learning culture. Because realistically, the company that learns faster than their competitor has the best uh, competitive advantage there is out there. I mean, my goodness, Amazon is the poster child for this. Everything that they do is driven on what have they learned and how can they apply that? But in order to do that, you have to measure and you have to be accountable and you have to accept red is going to happen. That's just how do you react to it is really what's going to determine if you're going to be successful or failure in the long run. 
One of the things I, I say frequently is mm -hmm. that it's, I talk about it broadly as change management and the mm -hmm. companies that are good at managing change will have a huge advantage, competitive advantage uh, within the marketplace. And, and I, how I interpret that, that there's the formal change management, like IT change management, you know, process, but mm -hmm. within that there's governance aspects to that. There's the learning aspect, there's transparency, you know, and there's, there's clarity of our goals. Like all of those things have to be in place for truly successful, you know, scalable change management to be effective. Well, and another thing too, that uh, we saw this actually at a local hospital here in the Seattle area. Uh, so this lady came in, uh, I won't mention her name because She's moved on at this point, but she inherited this organization that was really struggling to maintain their service level. They had a lot on their plates. Stuff was coming at them at all, you know, every direction. It's just a mess. And one of her first actions was not to roll in OKRs, was not to, you know, uh, fix the stuff that was working, if you will. She didn't touch any of that. She's like, our core problem here is the chaos is killing us. It's fragmenting our time. We can't get any uh, you know, ability to work on anything. We can't get any momentum because we're always being interrupted. And so she actually addressed the chaos first. She had things like, uh, we had a on-call person every week for the randomness that would come into the department. You know, it's like the chaos captain, if you will. And that position rotated around for every person on the team. Nobody owned it. But it became a learning opportunity because a lot of times what they found was stuff was coming in that wasn't theirs. Just people said you responded, nobody else did. Secondly, they changed their SLAs. Not everything needs to be done immediately. And then thirdly, they started tracking it because again, they started doing analysis. And what they found was a lot of times these were emergent processes that needed to be codified in some way. The net result, though, is that they were able to handle most of their ad hoc requests first thing in the morning, which left the rest of the day as a holistic time frame to work on projects. So lo and behold, by controlling the chaos, they were actually able to make their projects uh, work more on time because now they had dedicated time that they could actually work on this stuff without interruption. And, and it's sort of not obvious sometimes that that's what you need to focus on, but that's where their pain was. And I suspect we're going to see more of that in the marketplace today. Just an observation here, but mm -hmm. do you think that just taking the time to observe and measure, um, just, I mean, the, like that, getting an organization just to slow down to do that pays off. Oh, yeah. Immediate benefits to being reflective and to some degree, like, you know, to have change, there's a bit of humility organizationally of the, like to realize, you know, hey, we may not be doing everything optimally. Right. It's sort of like the organization um, having an allergic reaction, if you will, <laughs> kind of like what your immune system does, like it reacts to everything. And it, sometimes your best reaction is to not react. It's to take a step back, say, is this really something that's ours? If it is, when is it actually needed? Who do we need to put on it? Not just grab the first person. Uh, it is a, and I, I've been, I've been there. I've, I've been the manager who's like, you know, the sky is falling, all the stuff's coming in. You learn the hard way that that's not the way to handle this. And I think it is very, very hard to take that step back sometime 
and you know get a lay of the land before you take that next step. Uh, so I've learned the hard way and I've seen others do it. It is possible, but there are definitely some people that are still stuck there, especially the people who like uh, firefighting. Uh, and in fact, we found sometimes that your best firefighters are also your biggest arsonists. So you have to be careful about this in the organization. It's like, you know, engineers look at everything as an engineering problem and they go and mm -hmm. try and like, let's build something versus, I mean, I, I still, you know, having started my career as a business analyst 30 years ago, mm -hmm. and I still go back to kind of what I learned through that process uh, is that, you know, every business problem, every technical problem begins as a business analyst activity. We need to review. We need to understand. Let's have a discussion. Let's have a shared understanding of what needs to be done, then go and take action. And I mean, you look back at projects that went sideways quickly. And my experience is nine out of 10 times. It's because there was no discussion. It was you know, like, I love that Dilbert where the Dilbert and, uh, you know, they're, they're like, all right, let's go build a, you know, let's build a database. It's like, why is everything answer to everything? Build a database. We like building databases. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. kind of where we are today. It's like, hey, let's go build another report. No, right. stop. <laughs> Our but SharePoint that was, list, that's my other favorite. That's right. But I'm telling but Trev, but uh, you you go build a nice you know, Power BI dashboard with all the pretty colors and all of that. It doesn't matter whether it's relevant or not. People, you, you'll get you, a couple weeks Well, you, you'll dazzle them with the their squirrels all over that screen. So, I mean, that's an incredible power that you hold to be able to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you kind of want your work to mean something to people. Yeah. And, you I, know, I, fig I, I figure guess. at the end of the yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, if you get to spend more time with your family, then yeah. I'm doing something right. You know, yeah. assuming you want to spend time with your family. But yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, it's you want your work to be useful. And the other thing, um, I find that people are trying to build cathedrals when we just need a lean to, because things are changing so fast. It's kind of like I need, you know, we want tools that are scalable but that are flexible. And if you're going to do that, then maybe you don't need to build the perfect solution. You just need to build the solution for today, knowing you're going to tear it down in three months or six months. And yeah. so I think we're getting more into that, that mentality, um, which I think is why power apps is so powerful actually. And, uh, and actually I'm playing with, uh, because of one of our clients, uh, there's a tool called bubble.io, which is sort of like power apps, but for the web. And you could do the same thing. You could pull together all sorts of things and it's, it's really sort of a orchestration engine with a nice UI on top of it that you can design. Yeah. And I think we're gonna see a continuation of these. And I'm telling my recently graduated daughter that you know, no matter what you go into, and she's a biology science uh, major, you're gonna be doing data, data gathering. You're gonna be doing analysis. You're gonna be doing you know, a lot of these key functions that we need as capabilities to start investing in as an organization, because that's the reality of, you know, yep. and uh, she, you know, so she, I'm trying to train her in Power BI and, uh, but Power Automate or our if then, then this will be, you know, in her toolbox at some point, because I think she's going to need it. They all will. Similar. Uh, so my, uh, my middle son uh, graduates from the University of Utah this fall. Uh -huh. and, uh, his, he's a uh, major in atmospheric sciences. And I kept telling him, I was like, uh, he's a straight A student mm -hmm. and, and very, very bright. Uh, I just kept telling him, I said, you really should think about like a minor in computer science and specifically 
over on the, 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 the data science side of things. He's like, oh, I've got a couple of classes that are in my, it's like, oh, I'll check it out. And so, yeah, so his junior year, his last year, and he took this first class and went in in stats and he learned R and he's been learning using Power BI and, and different things. And he's just like, yeah, I should have gone that way. I should have done that. I see now. And so he, so he's rethinking like his, his master's degree. And I, I keep telling him, I said, Dale, look, no matter what field that you go into, uh, the data science aspect of that, there's so much data in every industry and in all of these systems. And if you have any degree of passion around data, I mean, there's so much opportunity around that. And it's some of the, if you go look at some of the generic polling on salaries, like straight out of college salaries, it's some of the highest oh, yeah. you know, brand new jobs as well. Um, working with a couple of data scientists right now, it's like the types of problems they're trying to solve are really big, big data problems. Yeah. And there's, there's a huge opportunity there because again, we have more data than we've ever had in the history of mankind. Yeah. On the flip side of that though, is I think we've got to get our normal employees comfortable with working with data because we have a massive small data problem. I mean, how many of us are drowning in spreadsheets that have a lot of same data that's overlapping, but no consistency, you can't pull it together. And so to me, data literacy has become the same as using Word. You know, if you could write, if you use a, an email client, you should know how the basics of designing your data, asking, like questioning it, and then how to get core data out of it. And for crying out loud, please don't use a pie chart. <laughs> I'm still stuck on the fact that you just called half of my audience abnormal. There's the normal employees, but then there's the, obviously then there's abnormal employees. I wouldn't say they're abnormal, but you know, <laughs> they're, they're more, there's, it, there's levels of literacy that you need. And if yeah. you're a data scientist, I mean, I, there's some of the problems they're working on. I'm like, that is seriously yeah. cool stuff. But well, you know, it's funny when, when we started to see a lot of these vendors that would talk about big data. And I kept like, look, I, I've been in this space for like, so again, where I started my career in the data warehousing world. And that was for all intents and purposes, like big data problems, right. mass amounts of data um, and, and all the issues that were experienced because of the limited storage, the cost and the processing time and all those things, which have been a lot of it, you know, gone away, but yeah. uh, are improved greatly. Um but I started saying this is like sitting at, I think it was like in 2015 and I was at uh, tech ed in Berlin, 2014 or 2015. I don't remember. Um, and uh, it was sitting at like the Splunk guys were in a booth right across and having conversations with them. I was like, yeah, but I work in the collaboration space. Every problem is a big data problem. <laughs> you know, it, it, it storage costs so low. I mean, all of these information systems that are out there, so much data that's possible which is why it's important to understand what are our goals, what are our outcomes, what are we trying to accomplish so that you can wade through so much of that data that's out there. It, it, we are really digital pack rats. I mean, if you think about it, we keep yeah. every, when's the last time you actually deleted a file? No, I mean, I just, I just keep buying more hard drives, right. you know, or, or syncing to the cloud kind of thing because I'm afraid to delete anything. But if I, but I think with the focus of, you know, what are we working toward? How are we going to get there? You're actually going to do a lot less work there because somehow, and again, again, I've been victim of this in, in myself, you know, being busy does not equate making progress. And hopefully by using an approach like OKRs, 
like using some of the many tools that are out there uh, to help visualize this and help track daily it. Planner, bring back the daily planner. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, you know, you laugh, but there's something to be said about that. I, hey, I, I really like that that Viva email I get every morning. Yeah, I've got the same thing right sitting right I, here. I just hold it like this spiral bound giant notepad <laughs> with notes and stuff. So I've got I've got this system where I fold up a corner on a page if I have something I have to do from the meeting notes. But every morning though, I get this uh, this email from I guess Cortana that has analyzed all of my email, all of my Teams chats when I, where I promised something that I probably forgot to write down. She has saved me several yeah. times. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I'm I like love, this I is the, awesome. Viva Insights now formerly the Cortana. It's like I I say that all the time. Look. Most of the time I'll read through it. I'll skim through it. Like got it all delete. Yeah. But occasionally at least once or twice a week, I read it like, Oh yeah. Oh, I need oh, to yeah. follow up with that. And I'll add it over to that. Yeah. I yeah. have a similar process where with my, I've got a number of notepads around that, but I, I have kind of a notation style and will convert it into, I'll move it to a planner plan or into to do or mm -hmm. in notes in one note or whatever it needs to needs to be for that right exercise. and once i'm done with that i will fold the page so i know and eventually then i will go and i still i have a shredder next to me as well yeah i'm old school that way no one cares <laughs> about my notes it'll be meaningless there's nothing it's not like i have done. customer credit card information but it's yeah. just part of my ocd that to to finish the process yeah yeah totally i totally get it and that's where i'm learning you know like if then then this i love my iphone i love but because i'm usually not hands-free when i'm thinking oh yeah i gotta go do that mm -hmm. it'll be like hey siri do you know add a reminder and then it gets stuck in reminder so i'm having to wire that now to push it to to do because everything else i've got finally i've got feeding to to do so and this also leads Connection into was huh? tying in one note to uh to to series one of the first things i did yeah Ooh, so, i didn't think about that okay yeah, so so i'm gonna have to add that to my list yeah so there there's a yeah so I, if you go to you know if this and that you know has uh there's a connector there um, so yeah, so I went and did that. So you basically just have to, in your iPhone, change the default note taking to OneNote, because by default it goes to whatever the Notepad. Yeah, whatever their version of Notepad is. Yeah, yeah. My my thing is always you know flagging emails and uh, telling her, oh, remind me to go do this because I want that to be the first thing I see on my phone. Right. That when I open it, so like, oh yeah, I gotta go do that. Yeah. It, it's just me with too much to do and not enough time, like we all have. And, you know, sometimes that third cup of coffee just isn't quite doing the, the job in the morning. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, I always tell, I tell everybody, my wife hears me say this all the time is that, you know, I, I, I very much, I, I love having a full inbox so mm -hmm. that I have things to work on. And, and, uh, and this, the last year and a half, uh, I've never been, uh, had an empty inbox. There's oh. just been yeah. so much going on. And obviously it's as we, we started with, I mean, the pandemic, for those of us that work in the collaboration, the broader collaboration space, okay. uh, I mean, all focus has been on this where everybody's leveraging the things that we're working on. And so we've never been busier and I, I don't see it slowing down. It's, no. You know, it has put on fast forward so many organizations that were like, ah, oh, we're gonna slowly roll out like, nope, we need to have these systems. We need to have these tools. 
And so they're looking at deeper integrations. They're looking at supporting their citizen developers and developing other standalone solutions. There's other clients that are looking at those enterprise scalable decision support systems and doing more. There's something, the pie just got bigger for those yeah. of us. It, it got bigger. And I think uh, for a lot of organizations, well, for the consulting organizations, we've had to go broader uh, because you can't just be a, you know, a one technology company anymore. It just doesn't work. You, you're going to basically lose out. We have to cover Office 365. We're, you know, covering Dynamics now, which I've never had to deal with before. But, yeah, yeah. but the more I'm looking at it, I'm like, my, they've done some really great work with this compared to the version I saw ages ago. Yeah. Then, you know, the Power Platform has just been on a, on a rocket ride with the amount of innovation they've got going on. We've got external companies that we're working with. Uh, you've really got to become more that that composer, if you will, of, you know, I've got this whole orchestra of tools, I've got a problem to solve. How do I bring the best together to make that, those solutions? And I think this is why we're really as busy as we are because most of our clients are so overwhelmed with the amount of change going on, they just, they can't see it anymore. And, and they need help to guide them to it, you know? And I, I've gotten questions about your company recently that I got to ask you about offline. So, you know. <laughs> No, it's it's uh, I it, it really is uh, an excited exciting time to be in this space. There's a lot of growth, a lot of opportunity, and it's uh, I love having these kinds of discussions. I know that we need to to wrap up. We're at we're yeah. at time, and, but Treb, you know, just to close out, it, we'll have to have you back. We'll have to extend the conversation and do this again in a few months. But uh, for folks that want to find out more about you, what are the best ways to to reach you and find out more? So I would start off by going to Marquee Insights. So it's M-A-R-Q-U-E-E, -E, that version of Marquee, like, you know, that you find over the theater. Uh, you can also send an email to hello at marqueeinsights.com and I'll answer as well. But uh, we have, a, we're, we're blogging now. Uh, we're trying to get our YouTube channel up and running. And uh, a lot of what we're talking about is really from the executive engagement perspective. How do people use goals? How do they use OKRs to support their organizations? And really let's focus on where we're going as a company. Uh, so you're going to see a lot more content coming from us. And we will be at the SharePoint Collaboration Conference in April, uh, where we're going to be talking about some of this. We've got Educon. Uh, there's a few conferences coming up. We're going to be at talking about this. Yep. So hopefully, we, maybe we could do a live uh, recording for one of those. I hope to hope to see you at, at a couple of those. So uh, yeah. I'm excited that uh, travel is opening back up and events yeah. are happening. So. Yeah. Well, Trab, really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me and uh, look forward to our next conversation. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Dux Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint, and I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, 
casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens podcast.